There was once a fiery preacher who possessed a powerful but unusual gift. He found that from an early age, when he prayed for individuals, they would supernaturally lose all of their religious convictions. They would invariably lose all their beliefs about the prophets, the sacred scriptures and even God. So he learned not to pray for people, but instead limited himself to preaching inspiring sermons and doing good works. However, one day, while travelling across the country, the preacher found himself in conversation with a businessman who happened to be going in the same direction. This businessman was a very powerful and ruthless merchant banker, one who was honoured by his colleagues and respected by his adversaries. Their conversation began because the businessman, possessing a deep and abiding faith, had noticed the preacher reading from the Bible. He introduced himself to the preacher and they began to talk. As they chatted together, this powerful man told the preacher all about his faith in God and his love of Christ. He spoke of how his work did not really define who he was, but was simply what he had to do. The world of business is a cold one, he confided to the preacher. And in my line of work, I find myself in situations that challenge my Christian convictions. But I try as much as possible to remain true to my faith. Indeed, I attend a local church every Sunday, participate in a prayer circle, engage in some youth work and contribute to a weekly Bible study. These activities help to remind me of who I really am. After listening carefully to the businessman's story, the preacher began to realise the purpose of his unseemly gift. So he turned to the businessman and said, Would you allow me to pray a blessing into your life? The businessman readily agreed, unaware of what would happen. Sure enough, after the preacher had muttered a simple prayer, the man opened his eyes in astonishment. What a fool I've been all these years. It's clear to me now that there's no God above who is looking out for me and that there are no sacred texts to guide me. There's no spirit to inspire and protect me. As they parted company, the businessman, still confused by what had taken place, returned home. But now that he no longer had any religious beliefs, he began to find it increasingly difficult to continue in his line of work. Faced with the fact that he was now just a hard-nosed businessman working in a corrupt system rather than a man of God, he began to despise his activity. Within months he had a breakdown and soon afterwards gave up his line of work completely. Feeling better about himself, he then went on to give to the poor all the riches he had accumulated and began to use his considerable managerial expertise to challenge the very system he once participated in and to help those who had been oppressed by it. One day, many years later, he happened upon the preacher again while walking through town. He ran over, fell at the preacher's feet and began to weep with joy. Eventually, he looked up at the preacher and smiled. Thank you, my dear friend for helping me to discover my faith.
love that story we just heard from Peter Rollins. He's a modern-day storyteller, parable teller, and that story is from his book called The Orthodox Heretic. And a lot like the title of that book, the stories he tells are kind of paradoxical. And they ask these difficult questions that kind of stretch and, and tear back the layers of our faith and what we believe and cause us to ask some of the deeper questions like, in this story, he asks, what good is a faith that's not accompanied by action? And that, in fact, is a question that has been asked that takes us back to the very roots of Christianity. Uh, in fact, it takes us back to the little brother of Jesus in the early 40s AD, writing a letter to the scattered Jewish believers who are running for their lives from persecution. And he asked them in that context and in that situation, the same question, what good is faith without works? Or what good is a faith without deeds? And I believe that that question is just as relevant 1980 years later as it was in the 40s AD. So let's dive in. We're in the epistle, the letter of James today, chapter two, starting in verse 14. And James says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And maybe, maybe Peter was thinking of the teaching that his big brother gave uh, Jesus in Matthew 12, 33, where he, he asked a similar question. He says, a good tree yields good fruit. You know, a tree is known by its fruit. So for James, if your faith doesn't produce outward, visible, tangible action, then you have no faith at all. Similar to the man in the story we just heard. So let me say it more directly. You can believe all you want. You can have robust theology. You can recite Bible verses. You can memorize whole books of scripture. But if all that doesn't produce in you a transformation that leads to changes in your lifestyle, the way you live, changes in your attitude toward others, changes in your behavior, James is saying that faith, the one that knows a lot of stuff, that always gives the right answers but never shows up in real life, that faith is meaningless, useless, and dead. Man, that's tough stuff from James this morning. Remember from week, week one though, James is most concerned that, about our becoming perfect. Remember that Greek word teleos we spent so much time on. You're gonna hear about that over and over in the book of James. That's the word that he uses seven times in this letter and he's trying to tell us something. It's so important because it helps us understand how James can be so hard on the person who believes the right things about God but has no action in his life derived from it. The perfect person, the one who has arrived or at least arriving at this teleos, this Greek word, that person is well on her way. That person will have faith accompanied by action because true faith birth, births action. Teleos is the complete person, integrated action derived from faith. That's where we're all trying to get to, and that's the person James is calling us to become uh, this morning. So let's continue on in verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Good. 
even the demons believe and shudder. So James gets a little bit deeper and, and tears at us a little bit more. When I grew up, where I grew up in the mountains of Virginia, if somebody uh, crossed the line or insulted you or, or you know, the deepest insult insulted your mama, uh, the, the last line before the first punch was thrown was, all you done did it now, right? And that's kind of what these Jewish readers and hearers of James would have thought, all you done did it now, right? Because what he does here is uh, these words would have leapt off the page because he's quoting uh, the Shema. Deuteronomy 6.4, one of the few verses that the Shema was derived from, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that verse, combined with several others, formed the Shema, which became a, a deep part of the liturgy for the Jews. At the time of Jesus, all good, devout Jews would have been reciting that twice a day. Okay, so when James says, uh, you believe that God is one, he's striking at the core of their faith. He's saying, you believe in the Shema? Good. So do the demons. And they shudder. <laughs> so when he says this, he's really striking. I mean, he's ruffling feathers across Palestine at this point, right? And he intentionally appeals to their faith as Jewish Christians at the deepest level. So it got me thinking like, well, what do demons actually believe? And the scripture is full of stuff that demons believe. So check this out. Uh, they believe in God. In Mark 1, 24, Jesus is uh, speaking directly to a demon that sort of like possessed this man. And, and the demon says to him, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the demons believe in God and they believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. They believe that Jesus is Lord. In Mark 3, 11, another um, spirit speaks to Jesus and says, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. So the demons believe that God is, uh, they believe in God. They believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, they believe in hell. They beg him at one point in Luke 8, 31, uh, don't command us to depart to the abyss. And then they also know their Bible. Jesus is tempted by Satan in the desert before he starts his ministry, and Satan quotes the Bible to him. So what's left? I mean, I think you're generally doing pretty good if you at least believe what the demons believe, right? Because they, they've kind of got it all together. Uh, their, their mission is to, to, to stumble, you know, cause us to stumble. But what's left is action. The demons fall short. Satan, evil falls short because they may know and believe the right things, okay, but their actions are contrary to that. And that's why James appeals to that here. He says, even the demons believe, they know the right things, right? But their actions are contrary to that belief. So let's keep going. James is going to dig in a little bit deeper here at the end. Verse 20. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith uh, was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Now I don't want you to miss this because we'll, we'll see it all through the book of James. James points out two people as examples of faith in action, 
And in verse 22, he says that Abraham's faith was active along with his works and that that faith was completed by his works. Or you might translate that perfected by his works. And that's this word again, teleos, that's so important to James. That word teleos, again, it's a complete integration of your whole life, of your faith on the inside, that deep, robust faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior, as the one we're following, right? That integrated with your actions that reflect that faith, that's teleos. And James is saying that Abraham had that teleos. But I love what he did does here because, you know, he starts off with Abraham, right? And it kind of reminds me of this, this businessman, that we, the story that we heard. You know, he knew faith, he knew Jesus, he believed, kind of just like the demons do, right? But because it had brought about no outward transformation, he wasn't living in teleos, right? It was no good. It was dead. In James's words, uh, it was it was without it was dead, and in Jesus's words, it was without fruit, right? But as he lost his faith, he was able to see how hollow his former life was because his his life, his actions were not integrated with his faith. And I love how James ends this argument with Abraham, right? Everyone knows Abraham. He's he's like the patriarch of Judaism, right? So uh, and he left his family to follow God, you know, and, and he didn't always get it perfect, but man, he's just like this champion, right? He's like a Moses or something like that. And a lot of people hearing this might have thought, well, geez, man, I could never be like Abraham. I mean, yeah, you appeal to Abraham. Okay, fine, you know, great. Uh, what, what's a guy like me going to do or a, a girl like me going to do? Well, the very next person that he goes to is Rahab, and I love that. He doesn't talk about Moses or Daniel or David or some other, uh, you know, mountain of, of faith that we have tons of information about in the Old Testament. He appeals to Rahab. We have one little short story about where she wasn't an Israelite. She wasn't born to the right family. She did not have the right job. She was not a model Israelite like Moses became and like, uh, you know, David and Elijah and some of these others that he could have picked. In fact, she was a prostitute uh, worshiping foreign gods. And when the men of Israel came in to, to scope out Jericho and they got in trouble and they came to her house, she hid them and sent them out another way. And she called upon their God, Yahweh, to save her. And so what you have here for you and me, thank goodness, right? For, for all of us who feel like we couldn't measure up to an Abraham or a, a, an Isaac or one of these uh, patriarchs, you know, um, pillars kind of, of of the faith in the Old Testament, he says, well, look, uh, Rahab had this kind of faith too. She barely even knew who Yahweh was, but called upon him and did the right thing. So she had faith, called upon him and hid the spies. So her faith was coupled with action. Here you've got uh, somebody who was doing this. And what's cool about that, I don't know if you remember this, but Rahab's the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus, right? She's actually mentioned in Matthew's lineage of Jesus. So this kind of no-name person with a job that would have been considered deplorable, right? She's a prostitute, for goodness sake. But this one act showing her faith in Yahweh put her into our scriptures forever to the point that thousands of years later, later we're still talking about her, still mentioning her name. So what James is saying here, that I want you to hear loud and clear this morning, is that this deep, rich, towering, life-saving faith can be yours too. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done or what you're doing, no matter what you flipped off right before you flip this on this morning, whatever is going on in your life, whoever you are, okay, this kind of faith is accessible to you, okay, because it has its roots in Jesus and in the Holy Spirit, okay? And what James believed and what we believe today is that 
that God can take anybody in any life situation, no matter how torn down they are, whatever you've done or whatever's been done to you, God can take you in that moment, in that space, right there, whatever your name is, the Rahabs of this world and the Ryan McBrides of this world, he can take people like us, okay, and, and with just a faith of a mustard seed to say, I do, I believe in you, I wanna follow you, Jesus. He can give us this kind of deep, integrated, teleos kind of faith where we walk now in what Paul calls newness of life. That's what's happening this evening in these baptisms. Brian and Sierra are getting baptized, man, and we're stoked because that's an outward act that shows a faith on the inside that's, that's shaping their lives. And I'm so stoked that, that we get to be a part of that with them. So you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have your Bible memorized and be able to call verses out of thin air, right? You don't have to have that. Rahab didn't have that, right? What you do have to have, though, James is saying, is faith in the right place, faith in Jesus and this willingness, this openness to him to say, yeah, I believe in you, but I want you to come in and change my life too. It's deeper than just the beliefs the demons have, right? We, we believe and then we ask Jesus and the Holy Spirit to move us and to change us. And I gotta tell you, if you've never done that before, if you start asking Jesus to do that in your life, you're gonna be shocked and surprised at how he answers that prayer, okay? He's gonna show you how your natural bent can be used in his kingdom. He's gonna show you how your passions that are God-given, that he's given you, line up with mission in this life and your neighborhood and your workplace and whatever it is you do. He's gonna give you all of that. I'm getting chills right now talking about this because this is what this is all about. Faith and works together is the essence of our Christian life. So that's the offer this morning. If you've accepted that, if you're already uh, believing in Jesus, the, the question is then, uh, do your actions really line up? Are you living it out, right? Are you like that businessman in the story uh, who, who says, yeah, this, this life, you know, I really do believe in Jesus. I mean, I know it doesn't sound like it, right? Are you that guy? Are you double-minded? James is going to call us later if we're in that situation. Or are you living an integrated life? So whichever situation you're in this morning, it is my prayer and our prayer as a church that you would step into this newness of life with Jesus and your faith would be integrated with your actions and, and, and your passions with God's passions and you'd live that fullness that uh, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. And we're gonna pray for you to that end right now. Lord Jesus, our prayer is that anyone who is watching this broadcast, anyone who's listening to my voice right now would not be hearing my voice or my words or anything about Ryan, but they'd be hearing your voice and your words, uh, your word to them, that, that you speak into our hearts life, God, newness of life, and you call us into this abundant life where our faith and belief in you is integrated fully with our actions and how we go about our lives. I pray for anyone listening to this who doesn't know you at all yet, who, for whom this is new stuff. I pray that they would uh, take courage and step into this and receive you for the salvation you offer, for this newness of life you offer, for, for the forgiveness that you offer, for the purpose that you offer, for the eternity that you offer. And then God, I pray for that second group of us that might be listening, whose, whose faith has been uh, backtracking or falling, who, who feel uh, kind of saddened or depressed because they haven't been able to uh, live this fully integrated life. I pray that that person right now in this moment would just look inside to where you reside, that if they truly believe in you, you're there. And this is one prayer I know you'd love to answer, that you would help them make their faith and their actions align and be integrated. So we lift these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
Guys, if you're listening today and you're new to 12 Springs Church, I want to encourage you to reach out to us. If you prayed that prayer with me and that's the first time you've ever even uh, thought or, or, or prayed about Jesus entering your life, let us know. We want to talk to you about that. That's an important decision. So connect with us in whatever way you'd like with at uh, 12 Springs Church at gmail.com. If you're uh, somebody who's watching this and, and you are living that integrated life, then you know the importance of giving. So I want to encourage you to go ahead to 12springschurch.com slash give, and you can give through PayPal, or if you've got the Venmo app, you can give right there and continue your worship in that way. Uh, until this evening, I hope you'll join us tonight, the celebration at Turtle Beach. Love you all, and we'll see you soon.